Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. What an exciting and powerful day already. And now we get to go to this very strange passage uh, from the Gospel of John. So hear now the word of the Lord. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews debated amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the human one and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. My flesh is true true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So when I was in eighth grade, we moved from one school district to another school district. And the school district that I was in had pre-algebra in eighth grade. The school district that I moved to had algebra in eighth grade. And the counselor who was helping design my schedule uh, took a look at my grades and said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and move you into algebra because you're doing really, really well in pre-algebra. So we're going to go ahead and put you in algebra. And she escorted me down to the algebra class, which was already full. There were too many students already in the class. And so when I got there, another student for this teacher to have to manage, um, the teacher was not happy. In fact, she objected strongly in front of the whole class that I did not need to be there. The counselor, on the other hand, objected strongly to her objection and said she absolutely does need to be here and you will take her in this class. I've never had a fight right in front of me with a teacher and a counselor before, but there I was, first day of school, causing a kerfuffle. And so the algebra teacher looked at me and took the algebra book and threw it up and slammed it on the desk and said, does any of this look familiar? And I remember thinking, well, there are letters and there are numbers. I've seen all of those letters and numbers before. I've never seen them like that before, but I've seen them before. So I said, yes, it looks familiar. So she reluctantly allowed me to stay. That Friday was our first test that I would take. Um, The Monday, she called me up after she had graded the test, and she said, Would you like to know what you made on that test? And I said, Not really. (laughs) She said, You made a 7 out of 100. She said, You have two weeks until our next test to prove to me that you need to be in this class. 
if you don't do significantly better, you will not be allowed in here. That teacher put before me a challenge. She gave me something hard to have to deal with. And that's got me thinking about teaching this week as we go back to school. Thinking about the purpose of teaching and how teaching is done. For the most part, teachers are incredibly inclusive. They're seeking to get everyone in the class to understand what they're teaching. And so they try all kinds of different ways to make sure that different learners have access to what they're trying to teach. But sometimes, sometimes there are moments in teaching when you have to see who has the stuff to move on, to go to the next level, when you need to test your students and see if they can take the harder lessons that are yet to come. Jesus, for the most part, was an inclusive teacher. Jesus taught so that the masses could understand the complicated reality of God. And Jesus used the everyday things that were around them to do that teaching, talking about sheep and gates and weeds, making things real. Even using bread and wine, common everyday elements. But there were also times when Jesus would teach to see who had the hard stuff. Who could commit to the difficult mission that was before them. Who would not fall away but might ask questions and yet stay with him. I'm going to read you what happened after he preached that very strange, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood lesson to the crowd. Many of his disciples who heard this said, this message is harsh. Who can hear it? Jesus knew that the disciples were grumbling about this and he said to them, does this offend you? What if you were to see the human one going up where he was before? The spirit is the one who gives life, and the flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, yet some of you don't believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who wouldn't believe and the one who would betray him. He said, for this reason I said to you that none can come to me unless the Father enables them to do so. At this, many of his disciples turned away and no longer accompanied him. Jesus asked the twelve, do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are God's holy one. This moment of teaching that Jesus was putting before the people was to test the metal, to see who had the strength, to see who would endure To find out who could take the hard stuff that was yet to come and stay and eventually carry this message to the world. So this passage is hard and it's weird, y'all. If you think about it, this is a strange thing to say. We all just sort of take it for granted. Oh, yes, we're going to eat Jesus's flesh and drink his blood. And what? Just a minute What? In the first century, this was hard, and maybe it was hard because of what Jesus was saying, literally, and maybe it was hard because he was also saying that he was the Messiah, and there were people that were going to reject that. But I will tell you that very quickly, when it comes to people that are 
confused by Christianity, by this movement, one of the things that they will level against the the followers of Jesus Christ is that they're cannibals. That we go around eating flesh. That is something that they, they critique. That they say, why in the world would you join this group? And honestly, it still sounds like that. When we read this passage, if you were new... If you didn't understand Christianity and you walked in the door and that's the first word you heard from the gospel, you would think these people are are crazy. They are cannibals or they are vampires or something. What is going on here? And the reason that I know that this is a hard teaching, the reason that I know that it's really kind of freaky is that every church that I've served in which we've had people come forward to take the bread and the juice, I always have kids Kids, you can count on to be honest, right? I always have kids who will come up and I don't, I don't say to kids, this is the body of Christ given to you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you because it is crazy on some level, right? Um, so instead, what I usually say to kids is Jesus loves you. This is a gift from Jesus. But there are always some kids who have listened to the liturgy and they shut their mouths and go, And I don't blame them. And I don't push it. I just tell them Jesus loves you, whether you take the the bread or not. Because I know, I know it's so strange, these words. And, And honestly, I don't think we do a terribly good job of explaining communion to people. I think we take for granted that it just makes sense. Now, there are times to have hard teaching. There are times to test the metal. Whenever we're going up for ordination, we get asked the hard questions about communion, and we have to know them. We have to be able to explain them. But I would much rather, in this moment, lean into the kind of teaching that Jesus does in which Jesus makes it more accessible to all people. So that's what we're going to do with the remainder of the sermon this morning. I'm going to explain communion. I'm going to explain communion across the Christian reality. I'm going to explain the four major approaches to communion so that we all have an understanding of it. I'm also going to explain why communion is closed in some traditions and open in others. Because we in this community are leaning into being a welcoming church. We practice open communion, but we welcome people that come from all kinds of different Christian backgrounds and other backgrounds. And it would be helpful in our effort to lean into being more welcoming to understand those traditions better so that we can welcome people in as they have these different ways of practicing. So I'm going to start out, and these I'm going to use the big words, but hopefully I'm going to use the big words so that they make more sense and they're, they're more accessible to everyone. So let's talk about the four ways that, that Christians approach communion. The first one, probably the most ancient one, is what's called transubstantiation. Again, big word, but let's break it down. Trans means to change or transform, to become something new. Transubstantiation, that's substance. So it's becoming a new substance. So this is typically the Catholic tradition, Eastern Orthodox tradition, that believe that when we bless the elements of communion, they literally become the flesh and blood of Christ. And it comes directly from this passage. 
to understand that, that there is something powerful and transformative and miraculous. Every time you bless those elements, they become something different. They become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Quite literally. Related to that is consubstantiation. Con in this case means together or with. So it's a together or with substance. Consubstantiation is the Lutheran approach to communion. Um, and it came out of this uh, kind of debate, like when we taste the elements, it tastes an awful lot like bread and wine and it doesn't have a different taste. So what's really going on there? So they sort of adapted transubstantiation and said, bread and wine stays there, but alongside it or with it is the body and blood of Christ present. Now, both of those traditions tend to be closed table. And I'm going to tell you why. It is because they take very seriously the reality that you are taking in Jesus Christ. This is also why it's important, particularly in the Catholic tradition, that you do confession before you take communion. Because you need to prepare your body to receive that, that holy reality. So they take it very seriously. And they want to make sure that you're a believer and that you are prepared for that powerful, miraculous reality. And I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that they, that they take it so seriously, um, that it has such deep and profound meaning in that space. The third way that is approached for communion is called memorialism. Um, and this comes not so much from this passage, but from the passages that are recounted in Paul's works when he says, we've received this tradition. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's also found in the recountings of the Last Supper, right? And that's what it is. It's remembering what Jesus did. It is recognizing that Jesus was willing to give his flesh and his blood for our salvation to go all the way to the cross and give fully of himself. And so every time communion is taken, it's remembering that reality and being appreciative of it. And that table is typically practiced by our Baptist brothers and sisters and is also typically closed. And the reason that it's closed is because how can you remember something you don't know? You have to have accepted Jesus. You have to have accepted that salvation in order for it to make sense and have meaning. So when you have made that acceptance, you can remember that reality and you are welcome at the table. Until then, it doesn't have any power for you. The final way that communion is typically approached is real presence. And this is where the Methodists and the Episcopalians and Presbyterians land. Real presence takes seriously this passage that I read later, which is to, where Jesus says, I t I'm teaching you in spirit, right? It is the spirit that is, that is bringing meaning to this teaching that I've given you. This is a much more figurative, spiritual reality in the sense of we recognize in real presence that Jesus is really present with us in a spiritual reality. 
And that Jesus is not just present in the bread and the juice, but present in the whole of the community. Present in me and you, present in the gathered body of Christ. That Jesus is all around us and with us and is calling out to us and is, is, is in our lives. In this spiritual and profound moment. And this ties in, I, I, taught, I preached about this uh, about a month ago. This ties into our understanding of grace. That God is constantly calling out to you. Whether you have accepted Jesus or not, God loves you. God is present in your life. And so this tends to be an open table. Because you already have Jesus. Jesus is already loving you. Jesus is already present with you. And maybe it will be in that moment of taking of the bread and the juice that you recognize that reality. And so why would we stop you from having that encounter with grace? Of course you are welcome. Of course it is open to everyone. So now, hopefully, we all understand each other a little bit better. We understand what's at work in communion. And that all of these traditions and the way they approach them have biblical foundation for the way that they choose. And that the, the, the traditions that are closed table, while they feel exclusive to us sometimes, are actually out of a deep theological commitment. When we understand that commitment, I think we're more prepared to walk alongside each other and say, I, I understand it differently, but I get what you're talking about. And my friends, that's so much of what learning is. And so much of what it means to be community together. So much of what it means to be the body of Christ. So my hope for you this day is that if someone were to come up to you and take this book and throw it in front of you and say, I read this strange passage in the Gospel of John, and I want you to explain it to me. My hope is that you would pass that test, that you would be able to say, I can explain it to you. I can make it real for you. And more than that, I can invite you to the table where you will be welcome. Amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all.